What's up, everybody? This is Jake Walker, and this is Living for the Day, a podcast that exists to encourage and equip people to live in light of the day of Jesus's return. In today's episode, we are going to explore the topic of prayer. Wow, prayer is such an amazing reality. And we're just going to scratch the surface, but I hope that it'll encourage you to pray and to commune with your creator. Prayer's amazing, and I'm just excited to jump in. Let's do it. What's up, everybody? Here we go. Episode three. We're talking about prayer. Woo! What is prayer? Um, to me, to me, gosh, that sounds like I get to decide what prayer is. <laughs> what I see from scripture is prayer's communication with God. It's both talking to him. It's listening to him. It's communication between us and the creator. Wow. And, you know, this podcast has a simple goal to encourage and equip whoever listens to live in light of the day of Jesus's return. And I really believe that prayer is a powerful tool to help us to live for the day. It's so powerful. And so that's why I thought, let's talk about it. And I want to jump right into our theme passage for the day. Thanks so much for uh, jumping into this episode with me. James 5, 16 through 18 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I love that passage. There's so much there. I love that it calls us to confess our sins to each other and to pray for each other. Why? So that we may be healed, and that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's saying, hey, look, Elijah, he wasn't made of different stuff than you. He was a human being too. And he prayed earnestly and things changed. And I want to encourage you today that I love that classic phrase, prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. I believe that. I, I believe that that's the testimony of scripture. And that's exciting to me. And I believe uh, it changes the way we live for the day. So it's also such a deeply relational thing we get to do with our Heavenly Father. In my life, I've experienced prayer as probably being the unrivaled activity that keeps my relationship with God vital, living, and thriving. Now, I just wanted to start off um, with a quick story about prayer, kind of a one of the more radical stories about prayer, honestly, in my life, but I still want to share it because it encourages me to this day. I went to college at Azusa Pacific University here in Southern California. And at 
the dorm trinity, there are some prayer, many prayer rooms, prayer chapels at the bottom of, uh, at the first floor. And that was one of the places that I would go to just be with God and to pray with him. I, I, for me, it's helpful to have specific spots, <laughs> locations where I pray. It just helps me pray. And the first floor of Trinity was, um, the prayer room was one of the spots that I prayed. And there was this one night where I was really contending in prayer and, and going, going after the Lord in prayer. And what I was praying about was I had recently found out that there were actually some, tragically, some suicide attempts at APU. And it, I learned of these attempts right after I had read a really powerful piece by Mother Teresa about one of Jesus's last phrases when he died on the cross, which was, I'm thirsty. And Mother Teresa wrote a beautiful piece about how when Jesus said, I'm thirsty, one of the ways we can, we can see what he meant, though in reality, I'm sure he was talking about his physical thirst from the rest of scripture. I think an argument can be made that Mother Teresa is, you know, leading us to something that's true. She interpreted it as Jesus saying, I'm thirsty for relationship with the people I'm dying for. Like I, I'm doing this because I long for people to be saved. I long for people to be in personal relationship with me. That's why I'm giving my life. Just as Jesus said in John 17, father, I want them to be with me where I am. Right. And so it, it really moved me in college. Just this idea of God. Um, if we dare use the language uh, being thirsty or longing for people to be saved. And I, and then I found out about these tragic uh, suicide attempts that, you know, just were so tragic to me. And I just was like, I was contending with the Lord because I was like, God, is it true that people are in a place of such hopelessness that they would want to take their life while the God of the universe loves them and loves me beyond our wildest dreams so much that you would die, that you would give your life, that you, you would thirst for them. And I was crying out to the Lord. I was saying, God, is it true? Is it true? Do you actually thirst for us? Do you, are you thirsty that people would know you would be saved? I was asking the Lord that. And, you know, this doesn't happen a ton to me, so I don't want to come across as um, someone super special. Uh, But for some reason, two just Bible verse references came into my mind. One was John, the book of John, chapter 4, verse 7, and one was something like, you know, 2 Corinthians 40-something, which actually doesn't exist. Um, And you know what? I... (laughs) <laughs> to be honest, I didn't really think much of it. I didn't even check what those references meant at the time. But I was asking the Lord, Lord, do you really thirst? And, you know, I was praying. and It was it was some extended time. And I got the courage uh, the next morning. I You know, I thought of how those references came into my head. 
And so I decided to look at what John 4, 7 said. And I was blown away. I didn't know what John 4, 7 said. Again, just the reference came into my mind when I was asking the Lord, Lord, are you thirsty? And so I went and I opened up my Bible and I'm going to read for you John 4, 7. It's the story of the woman at the well and Jesus meeting the woman at the well. And John 4, 7 is this. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? And that was just one of the moments in my life where it seems like kind of a miracle where God spoke to me and I believe was saying to me, Jake, it's true. I do. I long for people to be saved. I long for people to know how much I love them. That's why I gave my life on the cross that they could be saved. And that was just a radical moment of communication between me and my heavenly father. And I'll, I'll never forget that. I'm so thankful for it. And that, that prayer time, you know, that stuck with me. And I, 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 that's part of my history with Jesus you know, and no one can take that away from me. And it, to this day, it reminds me of the power of prayer. It reminds me that my relationship with God is real. And, you know, that's my main point for today is just that prayer helps us live for the day by keeping our relationship with God vital. I kind of like that word vital. It makes me think of vital signs, it makes me think of being alive versus dead, right? So prayer, that's my main point. Prayer helps us live for the day by keeping our relationship with God vital. It just has that effect. It it has that impact. It, it, It breathes life into our fellowship and our communion with God and our experience of him being real. And as our as our relationship is vital, it helps us live in line with what's going to matter when we actually see Jesus face to face, when he returns, right? If our relationship with him is not vital, if it's dead, we're going to be swayed by, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we're not going to be living for what matters on the day. So prayer is so important. I was thinking about Luke 5.16 and many others uh, Luke 5.16 just says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus was a man of prayer. So as a Christian, as a, f- you know, a Christian is a follower of Christ, I want to be like my Lord. I want to follow him. That's what it means to be a disciple. I learn from him and I want to be like him. So Jesus prayed. He also taught his disciples to pray, right? You know, the Lord's Prayer. And it's interesting. It's, it's been pointed out to me before that what's recorded in Scripture regarding what the disciples asked for Jesus to teach them is prayer. It records that they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. It seems, we can make an inference there, that they saw something about him and prayer. They saw his prayer life was important to him, uh, and you know it had great effect that they're like, hey, we need to learn what you know, Jesus, about prayer. And I just think that's, a powerful thing and makes me want to learn from Jesus about prayer since he was a man of prayer. One of the reasons prayer keeps our relationship with God vital is that it actually makes a difference. As James says, it's effective. Things are different both in ourselves and I would argue 
and I believe scripture supports this, uh, in what God does when we pray. One of my very favorite Christian philosophers and authors is a man by the name of Dallas Willard. He's influenced me deeply and encouraged me to believe in the effectiveness of prayer. And I'd like to share a few of his thoughts with you that I believe will encourage you to pray. All of these thoughts come from his masterpiece book, The Divine Conspiracy. I can't recommend it enough. It's just about discipleship and about following Jesus. It's about the kingdom of God. It goes through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and (laughs) I believe it'll change your life. Anyway, regarding prayer, I'd like to start off by sharing some of Dallas Willard's thoughts about request. And I'll just encourage you, um, Dallas is really smart. And so some of my quotes, are they, they might feel a little heady here, but I, I believe there's value here if you'd be willing to stick with me for a moment. So I want to start off by sharing some of his thoughts on request. By the way, I looked up dictionary.com. A request is the act of asking for something to be given or done, especially as a favor or courtesy. Okay. Dallas Willard writes that the central matter of, you know, exactly what prayer is, is this. He says, the picture of prayer that emerges from the life and teaching of Jesus in the Gospels is quite clear. Basically, it's one of asking, requesting things from God. So Dallas is going to argue that a huge heart of what prayer is, is the request, is asking things of God. And honestly, I part of that encourages me because I'm like, sweet, I can do that. I can ask God for things. And I do want to make a disclaimer here that I believe prayer is so expansive and there are many forms of prayer um, that I'm not going to necessarily go into today. But I personally have been encouraged by Dallas's emphasis on perhaps the center point of prayer being the request. He goes on in an earlier chapter, asking is indeed the great law of the spiritual world through which things are accomplished in cooperation with God and yet in harmony with the freedom and worth of every individual. In the very nature of request, we acknowledge that uh, that the other person can say no, and innocent as doves, we accept that response. I'm going to talk to you just briefly about Dallas's thoughts on request because it's the background to some of his direct teaching on prayer, and it overall helps frame prayer for me, Jake. Dallas Willard really never uh, diminished the greatness, holiness, or unchangeableness of God, yet he emphasized the partnership we as humans can have with God, the continual conversation with him, and just the beautiful reality of true friendship with God. In a friendship, people make requests of one another. So we continue. Dallas writes, The request, while powerful, does not always get us what we have in mind as we make it. This is true of human beings and of God. This is a good thing because we don't know everything. We're finite, and not everything we ask for would be good for us. Yet we must go on. We must request. We must pray. Importantly, Dallas writes, Prayer is never just asking, nor is it merely a matter of asking for what I want. God is not a cosmic butler or fix-it man, and the aim of the universe is not to fulfill my desires and needs. On the other hand, I'm to pray for what concerns me. And many people have found prayer impossible because they thought they should only pray for wonderful but remote needs they actually had little or no no interest in or even knowledge of. He writes, prayer simply dies from efforts to pray about, 
quote, good things, end quote, that honestly do not matter to us. The way to get to meaningful prayer for those good things is to start by praying for what we're truly interested in. The circle of our interests will inevitably grow in the largeness of God's love. Hey, that's freeing to me. Just the freedom to say, hey, pray for what matters to you. <laughs> uh, that's that's encouraging. And just the idea that, hey, the, the circle of our interests will inevitably grow in the largeness of God's love. As we get to know God and who he is, he's going to expand what we pray for. Dallas writes that prayer is talking to God about what we're doing together. That's kind of Dallas's definition. That's pretty cool to me. Prayer is talking to God about what we're doing together. He writes, prayer is a total activity incorporating many elements essential to a personal relationship between two persons, persons different from and related to one another, as the father is to his children on earth. But the heart of prayer is the request. The request. I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged and reviewing some of this material to share with you. I've been encouraged to pray because I'm like, I can do that. I can make requests of my heavenly father. And here we get to the heart of what I wanted to share to you, share with you from Dallas's work. And God's response to our prayers is not a charade. Come on. He does not pretend that he's answering our prayer when he's only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. End quote. Wow. That quote is powerful to me. It makes me think of our theme passage, how Elijah prayed and God intervened on what would have happened. It makes me think of many other verses that speak to the effectiveness of prayer. For example, Philippians 1.19, Paul writes to the Philippians, For I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Do you see that in those verses? Paul's, Paul's giving evidence that prayers actually make a difference. Continuing with Dallas Willard, two Old Testament scenes really changed Dallas Willard's mind on prayer. And as he put it, it permitted me to enter into the teaching of Jesus about prayer. The first scene is set in the aftermath of the rebellion of the Israelites that occurred while Moses was on the mountain receiving the tablets with the Ten Commandments for the first time. The Israelites had made an idol and worshipped it, turning their hearts away from God and indulged in reckless sin. God tells Moses he intends to destroy them all and raise up a new nation from Moses alone. This is Exodus 32, 10. Moses' response, writes Dallas, uh, to God in this situation is one of the most instructive passages on prayer in all the Bible. First, Moses reasoned with God, asking him why God should be defeated in his project with the people he had brought out of Egypt. Wasn't God able to complete it? What about the promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? These rebellious people about to be destroyed were their descendants. Moses boldly asked the Lord to, change your mind about harming thy people. And the response was, so the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Wow. Wow. The second Old Testament scene involves King Hezekiah, one of the good kings of Judah. Hezekiah has fallen mortally ill, 
and his friend Isaiah the prophet comes with the word from God. You shall die and not live. You won't recover. This is 2 Kings 20, verse 1. In the face of this bad news, Hezekiah does exactly what Moses did. He prayed to the Lord. He reasoned with God on the basis of how he had walked before him in truth. Literally, before Isaiah could get halfway out of the palace, God told him to go back and tell Hezekiah, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you, and I will add 15 years of your life. And so, in fact, God did. You see that? Like the word of the Lord from the prophet says, hey, you're going to die. You're not going to recover. And then Hezekiah prays and reasons with God. He says, no, Lord, please have mercy. And another word of the Lord comes. He says, I've heard your prayer. I'll add 15 years. What? Both of these stories about Moses and Hezekiah from the Old Testament have really impacted my view of prayer as well. Dallas writes, now what we see here is a God who can be prevailed upon by those who faithfully stand before him. Again, it's not automatic. There's no silver bullet in prayer. Requests may be granted and they may not be granted. Either way, it will be for a good reason. Coming against those who would argue that this diminishes the sovereignty of God, Dallas writes, God is great enough that he can conduct his affairs in this way. His nature, identity, and overarching purposes are no doubt unchanging, but his intentions with regard to many particular matters that concern individual human beings are not. This does not diminish him. Far from it. He would be a lesser God if he could not change his intentions when he thinks appropriate. He writes again, the main teaching here is that we should expect prayer to proceed in the manner of relationships between persons. The general character of requesting will remain. The contrary assumption, which is I'm inserting here as Jake, the contrary assumption would just be, you know, you pray and it's just this automatic mechanism and, you know, just things are supposed to happen automatically. It's not a relational thing. The contrary assumption possibly causes more people to drop out of praying than anything else. Praying is mistakenly thought to be like plunking your money into a soft drink machine or like dropping a bomb. You simply do the act one time and then the mechanism takes over to produce the inevitable result. The idea that if we get it just right, it will work treats prayer like the drink machine. Prayer is never a mechanism. It's about relationship. And I love this last line. So far from fitting the classical pattern of God as the unmoved mover, the God shown in the historical record is the most moved mover. This is the one who lives with us and whom we approach from within the community of prayerful love. Friends, what if we came to God in prayer when we did that? We didn't see him as the great unmoved mover, but the great most moved mover. I don't know about you, but the idea of prayer is simply... Uh, genuine requesting of God that moves God and actually impacts what he does makes me want to pray. One final quote from Dallas Willard. Prayer, like all of the practices into which Jesus leads by word and example, will be self-validating to all who simply pray and as he says, not give up. Obviously, thousands upon thousands of books have been written on prayer. This is a short podcast podcast i can't do justice to the breathtaking reality of prayer all these quotes from dallas willard i hope that you're taking away something i hope that you're taking away this fundamental idea of request from god that it really impacts what god does or does not do i hope it impact i hope it shows you that it fuels our relationship with him and that's back to the main point of the episode prayer brings so much life to your relationship with God. 
To speak a little bluntly, if your relationship with God feels dead, it could be because you're not spending any time in prayer. When our relationship with God is vital, it causes us to live in obedience to him and for what ultimately is going to matter on the day when Jesus returns. I love 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-24. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So praying continually is part of God's will. It goes on in verse 19. Don't quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. I love that there's some connection here uh, in Scripture between praying continually and being ready for the day. Let's pray continually, believing that prayer actually makes a difference. My call to action today is to pray and to not give up. I don't know. I'm just struck with this idea that prayer is not a mechanism. It's a relationship. And we can continue to ask, continue to plead, continue to cry out to God to answer what we're asking for. So I hope you're encouraged to pray today. Well, it certainly wouldn't be right to not pray at the end of this episode, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you with some requests. I pray for whoever's listening to this podcast right now, and I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you'd encourage them. I pray that you'd help them. I pray that you'd strengthen them in whatever they're going through, Lord. Bless them. God, I pray that you would use this podcast to bless people, encourage them, and equip them to live for the day. God, would you help us to live for your glory? Would you help us be prepared for the day when we see you face to face? I'm so thankful for you, Lord. I bless your name. And I just love you so much. Thank you for the people listening to this. Would you bless them in Jesus' name? Amen. Let's move on to the nugget for the day. The nugget about heaven. The nugget about eternity. Here we go. The nugget about heaven, the nugget about eternity is this. Even in heaven, even in eternity, we still won't know everything. And honestly, that's good news to me. God alone is omniscient, and when we die, we'll see things far more clearly, and we'll know much more than we know now, but we'll never know everything. And heaven will be flawless, but not knowing everything isn't a flaw. It's part of being finite. Righteous angels don't know everything, and they long to know more, 1 Peter 1.12. They're flawless but finite. We should expect to long for greater knowledge as angels do, and will spend eternity gaining the greater knowledge we'll seek. I've heard it said that the one infinite thing about human beings is our desire, and that the one infinite thing that can satisfy that desire is God. And I think that's so cool that we'll spend eternity and timeless time going deeper and deeper into the heart of God. And we'll always be longing for more and we'll always be being satisfied with more. And we'll never plumb the depths of God. That's exciting to me. Well, I feel like so much more could be said about prayer, but this episode is already getting long. And, well, I just invite you to the adventure of prayer. One last thought. Pray with people. And be around people who pray. Ask somebody to pray for you. 
and let's watch the power of prayer together. It really does change things. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you've been encouraged. I hope this podcast is encouraging you to live in light of the day of Jesus' return. I'm so thankful for you, and I hope you have an amazing day. God bless you.